Hi, this is Joel Knox from the Vineyard Church in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad that you're interested in our podcasts. Our media is available to you free of charge, and it always will be. But if you'd like to help us out, you can go to our website, vineyardbrenham.org, and make a donation there. We'd appreciate it very much. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. That was Under Pressure. It was written by David Bowie, and oh, and I just lost his name, but uh, it was performed by the band Queen. And I don't know if you can, you can play that in church, but I just did. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, some of you who are a little bit younger than I am might remember that, that little, little phrase, bum ba da dum ba da da dum Ice Ice Baby. And, and Vanilla Ice, he was a, a rapper from the 1980s, got in a whole lot of trouble because he didn't recognize the fact that, that David Bowie had written that song. And so through a lawsuit that went David Bowie's way, he got credit on that, that record, and I think everything that Vanilla Ice made went to David Bowie. So, uh, But uh, anyway, that's just a little music history there. But in case you don't know the song, that it's called Under Pressure. And the, the lyrics say, Under pressure, coming down on me, coming down on you. You feel the, the effects of pressure in this world. Does anybody disagree with that? I think we all feel pressure at one time or another. And sometimes it feels like it's just piling in on top of us. Sometimes it's, it's right in our face. Sometimes it's you know coming from all kinds of directions. Well, when we talk about pressure, you know, it's, we, we think of it in negative ways. But if you, if you look at our world, pressure is a very necessary component of of the world we live in. I mean, where would we be without load-bearing walls in construction? The pressure's coming down, they stand up under the pressure, and so we're able to build structures just like this that are with, able to withstand the pressure of gravity and actually put a roof over our head. I mean, pressure's pretty good in that aspect, wouldn't you say? Uh, how about running water? If you have too little pressure, you turn on the tap and there's no water. Too much pressure, <laughs> pipes break. You know, it's, it, it's a delicate balance. In the oil and gas industry, it's, it's very much about pressure. And I heard this week that the, the Keystone XL pipeline, they noticed that there was a, a lack of pressure in the line, and they, within just a matter of a couple of hours, lost about 200,000 barrels of oil or gallons, I don't know how much it was, but that's a lot of oil, think about it. And so they, they, they responded to it as quickly as they could, but, you know, that pressure, that balance of pressure, good and bad, you know, it, it's, it's in there. And those of us who are, are you know, we were talking about it last week, you know, we're all getting older, and when you start talking about blood pressure, that's a pretty important thing, right? If you've got high blood pressure, you know the doctor's already given you the warning. That's the silent killer. Your 
going along and you know your, your blood's out of the, the normal operating range and you've got to do things to make sure that you stay within that threshold so you don't overwork your heart or that you don't overwork your, your, your circulatory system and end up having a stroke. But when you have low blood pressure, it's just about as bad. Because if you're not getting enough blood to your brain, you could, you could end up going into a coma and, you know, and you, could, you could die. Well, when we're, we're talking about the heart of generosity, and we've been talking about this, this is going to be the last week, so if you're getting tired of me talking about money, uh, this, I'll take a break after this week. But, but when we're talking about the heart of generosity, we want our, our, our heart to beat normally. We want our, our natural heart to beat normally. And when it's not beating normally, it causes physical problems. Well, whenever the heart of generosity is not working properly within us, that also creates problems that we see throughout our lives. And as we're doing this, we, we know that we can't afford the un, unwarranted pressure of overspending and indebtedness. Sooner or later, that's going to be that pressure that just comes piling down on top of us, and we can't withstand it. We don't want to live lives of fear. And Jesus talked about money quite often. And when he was talking about, you know, just life in general, he said in, in Matthew chapter 25, excuse me, Matthew 6, 25 through 27, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life. You know, and when we're, we're dealing with financial worry and financial stress, that's, that's taking away life from us. And fear and worry are the kind of physical, like the physical high and low blood pressure, That's kind of has the same effect on the heart of generosity that God is cultivating in us. And Jesus said later in, in Matthew chapter 6, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that, that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, that's what I've been talking about the last two weeks, and that's why a kingdom perspective toward finances is so important. When we were talking about the generous heart, it starts by gaining a kingdom perspective on money. The kingdom perspective is that God is the giver of everything. It's already His. He's the source and He wants us to focus on Him. And last week we said the generous heart beats to a rhythm of giving. 
the generous heart, it beats like our physical hearts, and it has a rhythmic pattern. That means we give according to the pattern, which means we give regularly, proportionally, and accountably. Now, th- this is all good stuff, but at some point, we've got we've to do something about it. You know, We've got we've to put what we've heard, what we've read into practice. And I don't want us to allow the spirit of poverty to steal away the opportunity to have a heart of generosity that could be beating inside of us. Inside of us. Our hearts are designed to work at a certain capacity. We talked about that. The fact that your heart's beating, if you, the, high, the high blood pressure, the low blood pressure, you want to, want to have that delicate balance in your body. In the same way, the heart of generosity, like our physical heart, has been designed to function at a certain capacity of wellness and health. And so this morning, I want to look at this, this, this principle here that the heart of generosity has measurable vital signs. Now, if we don't allow God to cultivate the heart of generosity in us, or we don't allow it to beat to its fullest, we won't know the fullness of the kingdom of God and the life that He has to offer. Now, of everything that I'm going to talk about this morning... I think nothing gets us stirred up quite like giving does. And the reason is, there's this inseparable link between a person's money and their heart. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we start, I talked about it last week. It, if you guys, have you ever walked out of the house and realized you didn't have your wallet? What happened? I got to get back to my wallet. Of course, you got your driver's license in there, but you know, that's also you know, your, your money your bank cards, credit cards, whatever. We don't want to lose sight of that. We, we need to keep those, those things close by us. It, it, it's, it's important. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm saying a lot from Jesus this morning, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when we talk about finances, that, that really hits at the heart of our being. Now, one of the most famous giving passages in Scripture is found in Malachi chapter 3. And the prophet Malachi is speaking on behalf of the Lord here, and he says it like this, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and in offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you'll not have enough room for it. I want to talk about three important truths this morning about giving that we see in this passage. And so we're going to begin with the purpose of the tithe. Malachi wrote, Will a mere man or mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and in offerings. To kind of sub, sum this all up, if a person isn't tithing, at least according to in, in the Old Testament, they're robbing God. 
that's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? Taking away from God, robbing from God. Well, when we stay at just a basic level of giving, and this was kind of something I talked about last week. You know, when I was in elementary school, my dad gave me a quarter for Sunday school to give to the church. Well, if I'm still giving a quarter in the offering at church at this stage in my life, something isn't quite right. You know, that needs to grow proportionally to what, what, I, what I make and what, what, I, what I have the capability to give. Now, let, let's just look at it like this. You guys, you ladies, you're, you know, those of you that are married, say that uh, you ask your, your spouse, have you been faithful to me since we've been married? And your spouse responds to you, well, most of the time. <laughs> what do you mean most of the time? Well, like maybe once every, every year I might go do something or whatever. And that, that's not a really good feeling, is it? It doesn't give you a lot of assurance that there's, that there's a, a, a good, healthy relationship there. Well, there's this, this concept of obedience Partial obedience is basically complete disobedience. Well, I, I, I did most of what you told me to do, Lord, but, you know, I just kind of chewed up the meat and spit out the bones. The things that I didn't like, I didn't want to do. And, and that's kind of how we approach giving. In a lot of ways, it's like, well, you know, the, the, I don't know that... The, God meant everything that was in Scripture. I mean, have we, you ever had that kind of conversation? It doesn't really go very well. Complete or incomplete obedience is complete disobedience. Now, before I get in trouble... Let me just, just define the tithe and what, what was being referred to here in, in the Scripture. The tithe literally means the first tenth. It's the best. It, it's the best that, that the person has to offer to the Lord. It's not just any tenth. It's, it's off the top. We're to give back the first tenth of all that God blesses us with each time we get paid. In Leviticus, the tithe is, is a, a principal part of worship. In Leviticus 27, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. And Jesus reinforced that. that It wasn't just an Old Testament principle. When He was talking to the, the scribes and Pharisees, He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And the writer of Proverbs even more enforces the tithe when he writes, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 
You see, the leftovers, they don't work. And it seems like, you know, whenever we, we, we try to give from the leftovers, there's just not enough left over to give. God wants the best of what we have to offer. Now, Malachi started his book, and he was talking about the problem of inferior offerings and tithes. In chapter 1 of, of the, the book of Malachi, he wrote, When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you, but when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's armies. So, some folks might ask the question, well, what do you mean by the storehouse? The prophet says, bring your tithe into the storehouse that there might be, might be food in my house, right? Now, in the, in the Old Testament, well, that, that was, it was common knowledge that that was the temple. And in those days, there were priests and Levites who worked in the temple, and their income was based on the gifts of the people that came in in the form of sacrifices and in offerings. Now, in today's society, that function is served by the local church. Now, we may have a variation of, of who might work at the church. Like here, we, we have a few staff and a lot of volunteers, but there still is the need to bring in the, the tithe for the ministries that, that we want to, to serve our community and our body. In the book of Acts, we, we see a little bit of what God intended there. In chapter 4, Luke writes, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You see, in the, in the New Testament church, they actually just brought what they had in and just laid it down at, their, at the apostles' feet that they might be able to distribute it within their community as, as they saw need. And in the same way, we entrust our tithe to our local church and our, our, our spiritual leaders, and we distribute the money for God's work. You see, a vital sign of the heart of generosity is giving 10% the tithe to the local church. Now, this just makes sense to me. I, I told you last week, and Mom, she affirmed everything I said, that... When she learned as, a, as a, young, a young girl that of everything that she received, 10 cents on every dollar belonged to the Lord, period. That was how she was raised. And that's proportional. It, it, it's easily proportional as, as, you, as you grow, you know, Lord blesses you. 10% of whatever God gives you belongs to Him. And... The best way that we can see the impact of what we give to the Lord is to give it to the local church. 
because you're here. You see what, what goes on. You're able to, you can engage with us and ask, hey, what's going on? We know what the finances, and we'll, we'll show you what, what's going on with them. That, that's just the function of, of doing things locally. We're, we're right here together. Now, you might give to other organizations, and you might support other ministries, but I, I, I would just caution you that the tithe belongs to your church. I've known people in the past like, well, you know, I give a portion here and I give a portion there. If the place that you call your home church, that's really where your tithe belongs. And it, it's important that, that you give. Now, some people, sometimes people have issues with the whole, the, the, the whole idea of tithing, and usually it's not a question about the amount, but where they should give it. And I just said that, so. <laughs> Moving right along. Wow. I'm working on this. Um, tithing is ultimately about priority. We bring the tithe back to God, and notice that we're talking about bringing it back because God gave it to us in the first place. And when we do that, we're saying to the Lord, you are more important to me than my money. You have the first place in my life. And when we put God first in our finances, it's the way to throw open the door to a life of blessing that the, the kingdom of God has to offer us. Now, there are some people that like to, to bring up the issue about Tithing being an Old Testament principle. It was instituted from the, the foundation of, of, of the world. But when Jesus came along, so the argument goes, that you know it, it's, it's different now. We don't have to, we're not under law, but we're under grace. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus addressed this directly. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose has been achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus changed the discussion from legalism to grace. Grace affects the heart and gives us the opportunity to give more sacrificially than those who gave under the law. Yet, even under the bondage of the law, Devout Jews gave more than just the tithe. And according to Randy Alcorn, and he's the guy that wrote The Treasure Principle. We have his book out here in the, in the foyer. He's part of Eternal Perspective Ministries. And he says that the average modern-day Christian gives only about 2.5% of their income to the local church. That's nowhere close to a tithe. And it also explains the, the, the strain on budgets and income it, it churches everywhere have to deal with. In his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, Alcorn wrote, When we as New Testament believers, 
living in a far more affluent society than ancient Israel, give only a fraction of that given by the poorest Old Testament believers. We surely must reevaluate our concept of grace giving. And when you consider that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, and they didn't, the contrast becomes even more glaring. As he alluded to there, for the Old Testament Israelites, giving often involved up to 23% of their total income. Now contrast that to 2.5% of American Christians. The truth is we have a heart problem. And those who are refer to tithing as legalism, they're often found living lives of stress, financial struggle, and their finances are out of control. And they, they often say, I can't afford to tithe because it's not a priority. The rhythm of a generous heart beats to the rhythm of giving. And remember what I mentioned earlier, what Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Or you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, Jesus was referring to tithing here as something that was just understood, and he didn't really have to mention it. And the issue that he was dealing with them was they really weren't merciful, and and it was easier to give than it was to show mercy and, and to extend justice and show faithfulness. We are free from the law, and we are called to live by a higher standard of grace. Now, Malachi continues, he says in verse 9, You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. The second thing we can learn from Malachi 3.9 is that those who are not tithing are not being fully blessed by God. Scripture actually tells us that non-tithers are under a curse. It's harsh. We don't like saying things like that. But I can put it like this. Failing to tithe blocks God's ability to bless us to the extent that He would like. Now, what does this curse look like in our culture? Well, for one, going to bed every night worried about money, arguing with your spouse over money, living in fear of losing everything. That's a terrible way to live. The symptoms of an unhealthy heart of generosity begin with with financial worry and conflict. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. We can't ignore and dispute God's plan for our livelihood and still expect to have His blessing on our lives. And when we're obedient to the, to the call to tithe, He will bless us in an unimaginable ways. 
And I've seen this for myself. And I would rather tithe 10% and live life with God's supernatural blessing than and, and on the other 90% rather than having the full 100% in my pocket and operate without His blessing. Would you agree? One of the most frequent questions I, I hear about tithing is, should I tithe based on my gross income or my net income? And my answer has come to be, well, which part do you want God to bless? Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to, to store it. Malachi chapter 3 is the only place in Scripture where God says, test me, and it's actually a good thing. He is essentially saying, bring me the tithe and see if I don't bless you. Go ahead, try it. Now, some folks like to, like to see if they can prove people wrong, you know? And this is one of those that... Be my guest. See if you can prove that, that the Lord is not faithful. Because He wants to bless us. He wants us to experience everything that He has for us. The truth is, is that we just don't really care enough to try. God shows up in people's lives when they honor Him. And His promise about tithing is simple. If you'll honor me with your first fruits, then I will pour out a blessing on your life. Simple enough. And you see, when we begin tithing, we kick God's spiritual laws into high gear in our lives. When we honor God, He honors us. And these blessings, they may not necessarily be tangible blessings. Then again, maybe they are. But we experience His blessing in every aspect of our lives. I've discovered, whenever I tithe, that somehow, at the end of the month, there's something left over. I can't explain it. Danelle and I have sat down with, with our books and we've tried, you know, how does this make sense? We tithe and then somehow there's always something left over at the end of the month. And that's really, that's God's spiritual laws kicking into gear. And we, we see it and we experience that in our, in our home. The symptoms of a healthy heart of generosity are financial peace, favor, and well-being. Acts chapter 4, Luke writes, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From the time to time, those who owned land and, and, or, or houses and sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I've talked to people from time to time, and, they, and when, I, when I've talked to them about tithing, they said, well, I'm praying about whether I should tithe or not. Okay. Well, I don't want to discourage anybody from praying. But Jesus has already given us the answer. You really should tithe. And the answer is right in front of us. And the one who is our perfect example, yes, you should tithe. Now, 
I wish all of our prayers were as simple as that to get that kind of answer. But, all right, well, I'm done. And I'm not very ceremonial, I guess, sometimes. But uh, can we all stand? Next week we're going to be beginning Advent, and uh, it's, I, I think that's probably one of the most wonderful times of the year, anticipating the, the Lord's coming, and we experience His, his goodness to us in, in, in the holiday time of, this, of the year. But as we enter into this season, we, we need, to, need to think about our giving and being generous and allowing the Lord to to allow us to be a blessing to our communities, to our families, to our church. And so as we, as we move into this season, I, I, I hope we would all just say to the Lord, God, help me to, to be willing to give. Help me to be willing to, to be faithful in every, every aspect of my life, including financially. And I'm going to end with, with this, this little prayer. And if you're here this morning and you, you have uh, prayer needs, if you need a prayer for healing, if, you, if maybe you, you're, you're one that's praying for an answer whether you should tithe, um, I want to pray with you. But I'm so glad you're here this morning. And I'm just going to say this as a prayer over us this morning. Our God, we thank You and we praise Your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Lord, I ask your blessing on us today as we go out this week, that we would sense your presence, that we would would see your leading, that we would sense your hand guiding us and directing us in every aspect of, of what we have to do this week. Lord, we praise you and we give you thanks. Go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.